Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. The world and welcome to the upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. First off, let me start by saying we have made it, folks, 50 episodes. We have done it. 50 episodes, people, and also Happy New Year. This will be the last episode of the year of the upcoming, and I am just so excited to have this guest with me. So, Sharia in New York, she is, she hasn't, well, she is a graduate of Purchase College, just like myself, with a double in playwriting and screenwriting. And she has also, you know, been an editor for the uh, Chaotic Merge uh, magazine. So, She's done a lot of amazing things, and she's also was part of the Writers Club, which I was a huge fan of back when we were purchased together. And aside from that, even outside of purchase, she's done a lot of cool things. She was a host of the Written Chaos uh, podcast, and she was also she's also been studying UCLA under the professional program for uh, screenwriting and playwriting. So it's uh, been so many just cool programs, cool groups, just all around amazingness that she's been a part of all in the name of, you know, professional uh, creative writing. So I'm happy to have her here with me. Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Bailey Peabody. How's it going, Bailey? It's good. It's nice hearing my like credentials listed like that because like half of them I forget and I'm like, oh, I did do that. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure to list them out. Bailey, people need to hear it. So I did an introduction of you, Bailey, but I always let my guests introduce themselves afterwards. So please tell us, in your own words, who and what exactly are you? Well, I'm a dog mom, first and foremost. Let's throw that out there. My my little baby is everything. Um, She's asleep right next to me. She's 18 months old, 65 pounds, a devil. Um, Her name is Kennedy after the president as she should be um what else about me i i'm a worker i you know i would say where i work now but it in the past year i've had four different jobs so it kind of changes around but as of right now i'm a vet receptionist and i'm just trying to go back to my writing roots and kind of do what i actually went to school for yeah, good for you. And also, I have a dog myself, so kind of just want to hold them all day, just knowing that, um, yeah, dogs are absolutely precious. And so, yeah, there's so much you've done, but let's just take it all away from all the beginning, starting with like how you first like got into the path you're on right now, starting with writing. When did you know that you absolutely loved writing and wanted to take that on as a profession? I actually know the answer to this question. I was 13 years old. I went and saw The Imitation Game. Did you ever see The Imitation Game? Okay. It's about Alan Turing, who essentially made um, what we now recognize as computers. And he solved the 
German Enigma machine and kind of essentially helped the Allies win the Second World War. And there's this scene in the movie where he kind of figures out how to break the machine and figure out like different a different way to look at it and like the way the movie set it up with the writing and the tension and the score all hitting at the same point i like remember sitting there in the audience being like that's so cool. i want to do that i want to be able to do that and i used to carry around a legal pad because i was a weird kid and i used to carry around like legal pads with like manila folders of the pages and just like write plays in my fair in my free time and also not in my free time um like i was i remember being in woodshop class and i don't remember who put me in woodshop class but i remember just sitting there at the desk just like writing and everyone else was like underneath the saws and i'm just like over here writing and i just never stopped and then i found out that purchase had a playwriting screenwriting major and i was like that's it done yeah that's that's Magic Purchase, they had what uh, we were looking for as writers. And the Imitation Game. Gotta watch it. You can remember it a little bit. That that had Benedict Cumberbatch in it, right? It sure did. Benedict Cumberbatch, Kira Knightley. Uh, others. Yeah. Others. <laughs> others. There were others. Um, but yeah, it's just that... It's just how screenwriters able to, you know, bring to life something in a, in a movie where it starts out on paper, but you can still sort of visualize it in your head. But that goes for most writers uh, in general. So, you know, when you when you start dabbling in uh, screenwriting a bit, did uh, it make you curious? Like. Um, is that what like got you curious on like other uh, forms of writing and like how like they're able to put ideas onto a paper? I've always been curious about other medias. I'm just not very good at them. Hmm. I like, you know, like you, you were in the creative writing department and we had a few mutual friends who were in the creative writing department and I remember like reading their work or hearing them talk about like other people in the class and being like, they're like, they'd be like, their words just don't make sense. Like they don't know how to explain what's going on. And I'm like, I don't know how to explain what's going on. Like writing for screen or writing for the stage, writing where it's not supposed to be read is so easy because they actually like, would rather you use less words. They don't want you to say, George walked over here with a sad look on his face because this happened and this is how he feels. You have to, you have to show the audience that because they're never gonna read that. So you have to get that point across just by how they walk or what they say or what they do. And that's like a thing where I'm like, bet I can do that. Poems? I don't understand poems at all. Books? Yeah. I could write five pages and I'd be like, this is enough. Here you go. This is my story. But with, but with five pages of a screenplay, you have a short film right there. Yeah, and I was just talking to one of my friends about this and because 
like you said, I forgot you knew that, that I do the editing for Chaotic Merge. Um, I, I read submissions. We're currently in the process of reading through submissions now. And some of the hardest problems is it's so hard to end a 10-page play, but it's because there's not enough time. Because a 10-page story, like when you think about like a full page of a book, there's so many words. A 10-page play, they say the more white on the page, the better. So you have less opportunity to get your whole point across. And it's just like, I'm like, it's hard. I know. I can't do it. It's really difficult. My every class I had, they'd be like, you know, if you just had a few more pages, I feel like you'd solve this perfectly. And I'm like, you told me to stop. Come on, like, oh. I'll go. never forget that. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Screenwriting 3, they gave me 60 pages, and I was at like 57. And I was like, I can't do anymore because I'm not going to have enough time. And he was like, if you just had like 10 more pages. I'm like, you told me to stop at 60. He's like, I know what I said. Like, yeah, oh. sure you did. Yeah, sure, he did. No good grief. But uh, I do agree with you. Because there are so many different formats to writing, so many different styles, and they all, like, require something different. Like, you just said with poetry, it is definitely harder, I found myself, because you have to be kind of obscure. You have to rely solely on like imagery and visualization and you have to like, and it's all about the wording. Like a poet, it'd be really difficult for a poet to become a screenwriter and vice versa because of just how different they are despite taking on the multiple forms of creative writing. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's like a, almost like a science to it, honestly. Yeah. It's kind of like you can always tell when a first time, feature director came from making music videos you're like oh it's flashy but there's nothing underneath it like you can always tell always so it's the same way like how a film director becomes a music video director and his his music videos are way more cinematic and sort Mm -hmm. of like at the edge of your seat kind of thing yeah um but okay, I have a random question. Yeah. What is your favorite film genre and why? I really like dramas, but I like dramas because I can always I can always pinpoint like every year my one of my favorite things is when I know that a movie is going to be nominated for an Oscar or when I know like an actress is going to be nominated for an Oscar. I love watching the movie for the first time and seeing someone do a scene or a monologue. And I'm like, this is their little clip that they're going to get at the Oscars right here. When they say their name, this is the clip they're going to play. Um, because sometimes that's the writing that I can like connect with the most where I can be like, it's weird that that's my favorite genre because it's the genre that takes me out of movies the most. Cause I'll be like, damn, that was good writing. Like, I wish I had wrote that, but it's the, I guess it's the one I have the most respect for. Hmm. That's a good choice. Um, and it's funny that genres, uh, like dramas also be the ones to like take home 
like the Oscars and everything. And like, it's rare to see like something like a, like an action adventure, like when, uh, a bunch of Oscars. I'm always when I think Oscars, you know, I'm always thinking like you know dramas or something or like historical dramas. It's because unfortunately the Academy doesn't treat them as seriously. Which, you know, I'm a recovering film snob. I I get it. I also didn't take it as seriously. Um, I always talk about. Um, I live with my mother, and it's just me and my mother. So, you know, when I want to talk about movies, I just go to my mother. So I'm teaching my mother about film right now. And I always talk about, like, the four quadrants of enjoying a movie, where there's, you know it's a good movie and you like it. You know it's a good movie, but you don't like it. You know it's a bad movie, but you like it. And you know it's a bad movie, but you don't like it. And with actions, they usually fall into the category for me of it's not a good movie, but I still enjoyed it. I think cinematography-wise, they should be nominated for way more things. Like everything camera-wise, set-wise, everything like that. Actions should be nominated for, I don't care about the period pieces. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, oh, yeah, it looks pretty. The explosion was really cool and they should get all the props for it. Um, but I think that in terms of them as movies, people are usually like, that's stupid and they wave them off. But like, John Wick is a masterpiece. John Wick should have been nominated for everything. Everything. Uh, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I don't think that man's ever really won an Academy Award. Mm Mm-mm. They didn't take him seriously for a long time. No. That is that is a shame. That is, that is such a shame. Honestly, that's... But we could go on and on about oh, John Wick yeah. and Reeves. Um, but the Oscars, yeah, there is... Um, I don't know, maybe there is just a, just a bias when it comes to, like, their, um, their selections for uh, nominees... Because you're right. So it's, it's here's the thing: they never take like the action or like the or even comedies that seriously at the Oscars. Because there are comedies that absolutely should have won Academy Awards, I believe. Did you ever, uh, real quick side tangent? Did you ever he- watch My Cousin Vinny? I have watched a little bit of My Cousin Vinny, mostly the ending, but. Okay. Uh, you remember Marissa Tomei's performance as Mona Lisa? As the girlfriend? Maybe a little bit vaguely. So she won the Oscar for that. Nice. And they thought it was a mistake. Like there was a campaign saying that they read the wrong envelope and they let her have it and to give the Oscar to who they really deserved it. And that's one of those things where like, no, A, Marissa Tomei deserves that. And not that I don't love Marissa Tomei's entire career, but I absolutely would give her the Oscar for My Cousin Vinny. And B, just because she's not doing a serious role or like her most famous line in the movie is, anyone who's been stuck in the mud in Alabama knows you step on the gas, one tire spins, the other tire does nothing. Like that's still acting at the highest performance. That's not who Marissa Tomei is. 
so that's like the prime example to me of the academy awards like not taking genres other than drama seriously because the one one of the few times they got it right and shifted a little bit everyone thought it was a mistake yeah absurd absurd but we are seeing i feel like we did see a little bit of a shift in preferences because let's take uh last year's um Last year's list of you know Oscar nominees, and you know Michelle Yeoh took home everything, everywhere, all at once. Actually, yes, and actually the film got a couple other um, nominations and wins. It was huge because this is like we just talked about. This is an action adventure going across like the multiverse, not exactly a drama related uh, film, though there was definitely some drama sets in there. But uh, seeing that, like, win Academy Awards, definitely think. Do you think we'll be seeing uh, more films like that uh, getting shifted, or do you think people will still like choose dramas instead? I think, I think we're definitely going to see them recognized more. I think, in terms of whether or not the Academy is going to, in my personal opinion. Um, is going to reflect the changes of audiences' interest. I think it'll come down to whether or not Oppenheimer or Barbie gets more uh, nominations. Oh, yeah. Barbie. That's a a clear example. One movie, both movies are exceptional. Two of the best movies I've seen all year. One movie has every single thing in it. It should win. Literally, it should go down the list of every award. Just check, 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 check. Skip over original song for Ryan Gosling to win. And then just keep going. Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer. But Barbie checks all those boxes too. My gosh. Yeah, There's Bar- a reason they're pitted together. Barbie and Oppenheimer. What that this year they made they're what made this year of films like just fascinating because we had flop after flop like nobody cared about Haunted Mansion or Indiana Jones or Flash or a bunch of other crap but then when Barbenheimer came people were literally lined up outside the door and they were going to people were going to see both movies on the same day. I bookended my weekend with it. Thursday was Oppenheimer, Sunday was Barbie. Yes. And it's like, I have not seen, I haven't seen like just, honestly, I haven't seen such a hype for films since um, Avengers Endgame. Like this is, it was, this was next level and the marketing for it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. So like, how would you, how would you personally be able to describe just the choice of putting those films together and just, just going absolutely out of their way to, market and promote those films the the leaning in by the company by like both studios for the joke was top tier and honestly the loser out of the situation was tom cruise and mission impossible which is very sad because i do love tom cruise and i do love mission impossible but them coming out the weekend before was the worst marketing decision of all time. 
because they always talk about um, the second week flop and like how, however much the bigger the percentage between the first week and the second week is going to distribute how the rest of the time in theaters goes. And that drop from going to see Mission Impossible and then nobody caring about Mission Impossible within seven days was a nightmare. But they got Christopher Nolan, the man who hates everything and everybody, to be like, here's my ticket to go see Barbie. I don't even care if he went in and watched it. He had his little ticket. I got all excited. It it was super ironic that Tom Cruise himself was supporting both films, and they actually made his Mission Impossible film sort of fall under the radar. Because I think he was trying to be smart. Listen, Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie are two of the two craftsmen in the movie not even the movie making industry, but also the movie selling industry. They knew what they were doing. They were like, we're here too. We're here too. Come with us. We're here too. I'm sorry. It just didn't happen. I'm sorry. Yeah. He nice. brought movies back with Top Gun Maverick. It's, I'm sorry. Yeah. He... <laughs> yeah. I sure didn't see what happened coming. They were, they bet and they sort of lost. But. <laughs> Yeah, Barbie and Oppenheimer. That's going to be an interesting um, how that plays. It turns out the Gram, I think Gram is the Oscars. The um, that's the race because you know, so Killian Killian Murphy is obviously going to be the highest, um, like the most likely um, winner at the at the Oscars. And Margot Robbie. I'm just going to say a side note. Picking Margot Robbie as Barbie was pretty much the only choice. Oh, yeah. It's hard to think of anybody else who could pull off Barbie. Yeah. For that only, movie, yes. Yeah. It could For only the movie have been, they made. Mm-hmm. It could only have been Margot Robbie. Um, in any case, let's head back to um, to you as um, as a writer. How have you? Um, how have you uh, seen yourself like evolve as a writer since you first started? I think that's a really good question because like we're in between semesters right now for school, but we're working on the same project and it's a project I never would have picked in a million years because I'm writing a rom-com and I hate rom-coms and it didn't start as a rom-com, but it became a rom-com very quickly. And fun fact, I found out a few weeks into my writing that not only was it a really good idea for a rom-com, but Hallmark had already made it. Hallmark. That's what I said. I said to my, because my professor was like, why are you so upset by the idea that you came up with an idea that sells? And like, that's such like a therapist answer to a to or that's such a therapist question like way to spin it to make me sound cool i was like because it's sold to hallmark dude like and he was like but what you're writing is not hallmark what you're writing is bailey and i was like all right way to make me feel special but i would never have written a home a rom-com ever and i'm always like anything that i write either it's a drama and it's usually family based and it's family fighting with each other or it's 
a workplace sitcom for television, things of that nature. So I feel that I've opened myself up to be like, hey, this thing that you know you're good at, instead of being like, we don't like it, let's take what you like about writing and kind of take what you do like about the genre and kind of make the best of both worlds. So I think I've opened myself up to new horizons. Well, good. Because I understand, probably, uh, probably a rom-com, you were actually a bit of a history buff because you've uh, written uh, works about you know, the candidates, about politics. What is it? Uh, and there's so many more stories in history out there that haven't been made into movies yet. So tell me what it is about history that has you the most intrigued. I especially like in history the my anchor fell off. That's why I keep looking down. So um I'm gonna give it one more chance and then I'm just gonna you know what, whatever, we'll put the anklet on later. It's very nice. It has flowers on it. Ooh. Um so I like I especially like presidents because every single president we've ever had And I'm going to go out on a limb and say every president will ever have is crazy. They're out of their mind. There's something clearly wrong with them. And when you get to the bottom of like who they are as people, it gets fascinating. So I like history because I like the people in history. What made them either beloved or hated for whatever they're known for? Because when you think about So to go off of what you said, my senior project when we were at Purchase was a 120-page play about the Kennedy family. When you think about the Kennedys, you never picture yourself in the same room as one of them. You never picture yourself being able to have a conversation with them. They're these larger-than-life figures that almost don't seem human. But why? What did they do that made them feel this way? When you read stories about them and you hear these things that they did behind closed doors and you're like I can't believe they would ever do that why they're people they're people with trauma they're people with past lives they're people with likes and dislikes just like we are and it kind of makes you think you could also be like this big person who could do all these things it's kind of like with celebrities like you think of them as like so otherworldly and so out of reach. Tom Cruise was born in Syracuse. Like, right, Robert De Niro lives right near me in like the New Paltsy area. Like, he's within the vicinity. These people, everybody's a person. So I think it's just like, what about these people? People make history. So what is it about these people that make history? As as reasons like that, that you know, biopics are so popular. Love them. As you hear films, there, and there have been some fantastic biopics like Lincoln, like um, Forty Two. Love Forty Two. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good film. Uh, do you have a favorite biopic? Well, The Imitation Game is one. Um... 
it's hard because I'm always the asshole that the writers don't like because I ruin it for myself and I Google and I'm like, did this really happen? And then I'm like, it didn't really happen. That was writing. Whereas like, if I wrote something, I'd be like, of course it was writing. Life isn't cinematic like that. Um, I really like 42. I really like, I'm a big fan of music biopics. Just going off of recent history, loved Elvis. Okay. I was going to ask you, saw Elvis. I did. I loved Elvis. I unfortunately did not get to see Priscilla yet. Wish I had. But I love Elvis. I wasn't as big of a fan of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Loved Rocket Man. Yeah, Taron Egerton. Good choice for Elvis. That man not receiving an Oscar nomination will go down as one of the most criminal offenses in cinematic history. I don't care what anyone says, and I will be upset about it until the day I die. So let's uh, look at your uh, other endeavors. You know, being the editor of Jag Merja magazine, I know you had to look at a lot of different uh, submissions. And so. What was something that was consistent within those submissions? Was there anything? Um, consistent. I would say, because as I like to joke around with Jasmine, who's our editor-in-chief and like the founder of the magazine, because it's me and her in the playwriting and screenwriting division, but she also works for other divisions, which have way more people on them. So I always just like to say, it's just me out here. Like, in terms of what happens in that division, it's me It's me reading them and being like, I like it. And then when I meet with Jasmine, I'm like, hey, I like it. And then she'll be like, I don't like it. But then I'll gaslight her into liking it. Um, happens to at least one submission every issue. I'm like, I'll fight for this. And she'll be like, I don't know. And by the end of the meeting, there it is. Um, I've noticed... I've noticed one thing, and I think it works best with short form writing like that, is there's a lot of symbolism because there's something that represents a bigger thing. Like, just going off of one I read, like, a dog that nobody really wanted from the shelter represents, like, the meaning of a second chance. Things like that. Because you don't have a lot of time to figure that out with longer work. In terms of what people are writing about right now, writing is everywhere. I can't find one particular theme and we'll get shouted out by like another like another magazine or another like something will be like, "Hey, submissions for chaotic merge close on this day." And I'll go from 12 things in my submittable inbox to 67 like that. And I'm like, Jasmine, there's so many. And she'll just get a text from me at like 11 o'clock at night. Jasmine, there's so many. We haven't spoken in a month. Like, Jasmine, there's so many. And, you know, in terms of like, is there stuff that's working right now? And there's stuff that's not like what people want. I'm not noticing that. But also, um, I'm not out here like in the streets. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Indeed, this is so many. So many. Oh my oh, god, yeah. it's this... overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gotta be. And when you go to, sorry, that's my cat. Um, when you, um, like, I'll be in class and my professor who does the Q&A, because I don't know if how your class works is the same, but I'll have one professor for, like, lectures and Q&As and then another for the actual, like, workshop portion. But our Q&A professor talks a lot about when she was a reader for a studio. And she'll be like, you know, it's really cutthroat out there. You have to reach them by the first page. You have to, because they're just going to stop reading. If you don't grab their attention, they're going to stop reading. And that always bothered me. I was always like, I sent this in. I worked so hard on this. And you're going to read one page and then like stop reading because you didn't like the one page. So I'll sit there and I will read. Just in case anyone's listening who submitted to Chaotic Merge in the Playwright Screenwriting Division. I read every page. Every page. Mostly because it's just like it's just me and Jasmine. So there isn't a lot of opinions. Like the one thing about having a big team is like different opinions can like come together and you can get a really nice mismatch. Because it is so few of us, you can mess up that first page. My first pages are garbage. My last pages are garbage. Everything I've ever worked on, my first and my last page are not my best. I'm not good at beginnings and I'm not good at endings. So I give people that second, that third chance. I give you all the way to the end. If by the end, I'm like, oh, I like the direction this has taken, then when we get to editing, I'll be like, okay, this is where I kind of got lost. This is where you got me back. Is there anything in here that you think you could work on and adjust? So I try to be a little bit less jaded, but I'm also, you know, sitting in my house. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, it's just, just um, first and uh, last pages. There's always going to be something that's like, no matter what kind of story you're writing, even when you're going on, there's always going to be something that's going to make you stop and just think like, wait, where is this going now? It's never my best work. So how often do you find yourself, uh, like, how, better question, how many rewrites have you found yourself doing for one particular project? The first pay, the first play I ever finished, I started when I was 14, and I finished my senior year of high school. And it has currently, it is currently going through its fifth rewrite. Hmm. So my number so far is five, but you know, these things you, you can go back on and look at something and find, change something. It's never going to be done. You're never done. You have to just get it away from you. That is true. At some point you guys, you're like, all right, this is good enough. Yep. I'll drive myself crazy rewriting this more. Like. We've all we've all submitted an essay that we didn't think was good enough, and we've all closed our eyes and hit post. Like you know what I mean? At some point, it's out of your hands. It's done. It's done. You're not gonna look at it again. Never. So now, 
I want to ask you a little bit about being host of the Written Chaos podcast. Yeah, when you started that, I've heard your I've heard your podcast. I like it. And so what what was your experience being host of a podcast? How would you describe it? First off, so generous to even call it a podcast. It was three episodes of me and Jasmine just messing around. Um which, you know, we'll talk about bringing it back. And then she she's moved to live down in Harlem. I'm up here. Neither one of us have the time. Um, my experience was, it feels very natural, for, especially because it was a podcast about movies, plays, things of that nature. I could talk about that stuff for hours. And I know me, I'm very personable. I'm very like loud. I always, whenever I talk and I rant, I always see one person in the little sidelines being like, who is this? Why is she saying these words? Like, it, it always felt good to me. Like I always, I always feel good with a microphone. Um, I wish we had done it longer, but that wasn't, you know, Everyone wanted to start a podcast during COVID times, so it wasn't the smartest decision we made. Um, and, you know, we bought the equipment for it thinking, oh, we'll buy it, so we have to do it. We did three episodes. We did a good job. Pat ourselves on the back. But I also wasn't good at editing, so I would talk and I would do my little, like, I'm the star of the show, and Jazz, where Jasmine would, you would just hear Jasmine laughing at me, and then I'd be like, how's editing going, Jasmine? And she'd be like, it's taking a while. And I'm like, I don't know how to do any of that. And I always wanted to learn, but I don't have time. So I acknowledge that I had a lot of fun, but I also was doing this much work. Mm, I see. And yeah, it is, it is true that being a podcast host is difficult because unless you have like a professional editor at your side, you're doing pretty much all the, you have to pretty much do all the work or your partner does. And it can be, not very fun. No. Jasmine I'm, would send me a... Uh, because I also, if you put a mic in front of me, I start singing because I'm that kind of annoying person. So Jasmine would be like, do you know how much singing I have to cut around just because you decided to start singing tunes? I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't even remember singing anything. Oh my goodness. But, um, but you know... There is something, like you just said, there's something fun about being able to just get on a mic and just be able to say and talk about what's on your mind. And and for that reason, that's why podcasts can be, you know, just really, really cool to do. And so if you could, if you could bring out, you know, a podcast and, you know, you learned like mechanics, editing and like audio and everything, you could bring it back. Would you stick to what you were talking about in Written Chaos or would you try something completely different? I always had this idea where I would do almost like a mini series because there's not that much um, topic, but where I would do, like I'd bring a guest on. Um, for a while, I wanted it to just be me and my mother just because my mother has great um, reactions to things where I would just tell her about the life of a president and I would just go through and there would be 46 episodes. There were 46 presidents. And I'd be like, here's everything crazy about this person because 
I'll tell people and I'll be like, you know, Lyndon Johnson peed on a Secret Service agent once and everyone will be like, he did? And I'm like, yeah, you don't know this? And I just, it would be so nice to just get that out there. It'd, it'd be great. My God, I, I had no idea. Oh my God, Lyndon Johnson is such a weird dude. I know, he's like my favorite president. I just, he, at one point, he considered it a competition between him and Kennedy, who had already been dead about how many women he, like, who could sleep with more women when they were in the White House. And I'm like, you're fighting with a literal dead president. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. Or I'd talk to him, like, about first ladies, and I'd be like, well, you know, Woodrow Wilson's wife, like, she was the one running the show for a while because he was just not not do like he wasn't with it so she'd be like yeah Woodrow said this and they'd be like okay and they go about life and people would be like she did and I'm like yeah she was just running the show and she'd be like Woodrow said this and they'd go okay and nobody ever checked in with Woodrow wait where's where's her biopic that's what I'm saying my god like yes like Jackie was not enough, you know, John F. Kennedy's wife. Like we need more first lady biopics. Bro, it's listen, I love Jackie Kennedy. I love Eleanor Roosevelt, but they're always Jackie Kennedy and Eleanor Roosevelt. And I'm just like, listen, some of these women were not. Yes. I read Lady Bird Johnson's, uh, Lyndon Johnson's wife's memoir. I want that movie. I want all the movies. Like, yes, give us all the movie. Lady Bird Johnson. That's a pretty cool name, honestly. That is a cool name. I know. She sounds like a lead singer of a band. Like, yeah. Especially walking around with that name in the 60s. She's crushing it. She's crushing it. I wouldn't be surprised if she was the lead singer of a band when when Johnson married her. Uh, That'd be be great. Um, But yeah, there's just so much to it. All right, so let's just go into um, last few questions. I want to talk to you about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, writing advice. You've done a lot of um, screen and playwriting uh, since you started. So what would be something you would tell people to watch out for if they ever take on either, uh, take on e- either format? I guess my biggest, I just told somebody this. Because I make the mistake of saying that I went to school for writing in my daily life. And then people come up and go, I want to write this and that. Do you have any advice? And I'm like, bro, I sell jewelry on Sundays and say hi to dogs. Like, don't come to me. But I I guess I my big thing is because I'm bad at it, so I watch it, is um, following the structure. There very much is a template to how a screen, especially screenwriting, playwriting, you get a lot of leeway and you get a lot of that stage is blank and you can do whatever you want. And unless somebody's bold enough to get out of their seat that they paid hundreds of dollars for, you're not, you have their attention. You can kind of mess around with time and structure a little bit more. But with screenwriting, they paid $10 for that ticket. They'll walk right out. When you feel like a movie lags, it's because it didn't hit the mark at the right time. The thing was supposed to happen didn't happen at the right time. Those beats are there for a reason. 
And yes, the masters have kind of messed with those beats. But for anybody like me, who's just coming into this industry, who wants to sell, we are not masters. Follow those beats. Follow those beats the best you can. And when they give you examples like Star Wars, and you're like, they're so clearly defined because those beats are so clearly defined. Whereas your movie could just be like, the journey Luke Skywalker takes is way different from the journey Lady Bird makes in the movie Lady Bird. But those beats are the same. And study those beats, learn those beats. Structure is important because the audience does have a clock in their head and they will know. You, you, we've all sat through movies where we're like, this should have ended. Or, all right, we've moved on. Like, let's go. And boredom is death. Once you board your audience, you're not getting them back. Yeah, no, never bore, never be boring, ever. Because <laughs> that boring films are forgotten. That's the thing about films that you know suck. Like, those so bad as good films. Like, at least they don't bore the audience. Like, they still manage to entertain us somehow. My mom and I, in the same day, which was my mistake, um, we saw Phantom Thread and Darkest Hour in the same day. And they didn't bore me because I kind of liked the subtlety of them. One was about Winston Churchill in World War II. That's my bread and butter. The other was Daniel Day-Lewis's last performance. So I was just captivated on him the whole time. But my mother still refers to those movies as Darkest Thread because she cannot distinguish between the two. She was so bored. She still says Darkest Thread. Dang. Yeah. I'm sorry, Gary Oldman and Daniel Day-Lewis. Don't listen to my mother. <laughs> well, I guess they won't be ever. They're not everyone's uh, cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, another important question. As as writers, we we have to sort of navigate our way through the entertainment industry and make sure that we can still you know, take care of ourselves at the end of the day because we just saw with the writer's strike and the acting strike that times are tough for writers, even if you're you know, part of a big Netflix show or a, you know Amazon film, you could still get screwed over pretty pretty royally. So, how have you thought about how you're going to you know sustain yourself and make a way while you continue to write and uh, do what you love? The writers, every writer has a distinct voice. It may sound like other people, but your voice is your voice. And when you are a good writer, and your voice stands above the rest, that is your highest advantage. And my first day of class this semester, a kid asked, I shouldn't even say kid, he was like 20 years older than me, asked our professor, where do you stand on using AI to help you write? And there was about a 10 second pause. And then she said, don't do it. And I couldn't fathom that she would, that she would even have to ask answer a question like that like your voice is your voice we just had a whole strike about it about using a like that's the thing that i can't wrap my head around is why studios or wannabe writers or anybody really would want to lean on ai because yes it gets it but it's not it doesn't have a voice it's not there's no sprinkle of humanity in that and that's what films and plays and 
books and stuff are their humanity their the, the story is one of the oldest human traditions this even like even before fire because it'd be like hey this guy found fire this guy found fire like I'm sure that's what happened. That's the discovery of fire. Somebody discovered it and then told somebody else they discovered it. It's the oldest thing in the book. But that story is different from your story because you're a different person. You have different thoughts. You have different experiences. And that all comes together as your voice. So your voice is your highest aspect. And when you're going into the industry, use it. Rely on it. Make it you. Don't try and be somebody else. I just motivated myself. Good. You've motivated me. Don't try and be somebody else. Nope. Be you. You hear that, writers? Be yourself. Stop be trying yourself. Be Don't try to be other people. You know, it's like it's like that song Firework by Katy Perry. You are Yeah. Other- don't be somebody like don't when they say, oh, this is selling right now, or a lot of, be- due to the success of this, th- like when they made Barbie, and then they were like, hey, we're going to make every toy movie imaginable. That's not, that's not what we got from that. I didn't walk out of Barbie being like, oh, I want a Bratz movie. No, I liked the writing. I liked the, the message. I liked Ryan Gosling doing this with his hands. Like, First of all, we already have a Bratz movie. So it's just like Oh, please. I forgot about that movie. I I'm devastated that I forgot about that movie. Uh yeah, that was a long time ago though. But um yeah, there's so much to think about being a writer, but always be yourself. That's hundred percent the goal. But um with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes episode fifty of the upcoming. I want to give another big thank you to Episode 50, Guest of Honor, Bailey Peabody. Thank you so much for coming on, Bailey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's been my honor. So, like I said, folks, that is it for this episode of the upcoming. Happy New Year, everybody. We made it through 2023. Now let's make 2024 an amazing year. We've got new guests coming on. Each one's going to be better than the last. And stay tuned for you know, new collaborations, new projects, new everything with the upcoming because we are only getting started from here. It's only going to get better. And so with that being said, yeah, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, the upcoming. And be sure to f- follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, good night. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter at The Upcoming Podcast. And also just stay tuned for the next episode later down the line. Best yet to come. Take care, everybody.